Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Old Chick Snow Shit podcast. Today, we are going to go uh, deep on a subject that is very near, near and dear to my heart. I have with me Betsy Murphy, who is the author of several books related to, well, the first book, I think it was, The Autobiography of an Orgasm, which if I haven't captured you with this title, <laughs> you can leave now. But she is an author, uh, a writing coach, and also a teacher of Koya, which I didn't fully understand what Koya was until I read the book. So when we get into this, maybe you can explain a little bit more about it. But welcome, Betsy. I'm uh, excited to um, dig deep on these books that kept me up late far too far too many nights. Thank you. It's good to be here. And as I told you earlier, one thing I love with your podcast is you are talking about subjects that we don't talk about. And especially with the term aging, uh, I want to redefine it. Um, I'm proud to be, I turned 57 in a couple weeks. And I love exactly where I am. Some older woman go, don't say your name. Don't, don't say your age. Don't say it. I'm like, I'm proud of being 57. I wish there were things that I've heard on your uh, podcast. And, and like with my books, I wrote Autobiography of an Orgasm because it was the book I needed to read when I was 16. Mm-hmm. A man touch my body in an inappropriate way. And when I was 21 and 25 and 35 and 40, and I needed it at every stage of my life. So I wrote the book that I needed. And I love that your podcast is talking about the things that we need right now. Yeah. I mean, what I loved about your book was, so I often talk about it on the podcast. We talk a lot about looking for your truth and self-discovery and reinvention. And I love the fact that you went about that in a completely different way. (laughs) Tell us a little bit kind of about your, I guess, rediscovery journey and and the importance of, and we will talk a lot more about this, but the importance of how getting into your body was a huge part of that process. Yeah. Well, I was divorced at 37 and... At the time, I had four young children. I had a fifth baby that I delivered halfway through my pregnancy that was delivered and, you know, didn't live, a little boy. And so, and at the time, like my lower half of my body represented grief. And as I started dating again, I didn't have, I had beautiful relationships with men, but I realized that I was faking it and not speaking the truth about uh, that I couldn't feel anything in my body. I thought I was damaged and and it started bringing up a lot of uh, memories from the past, but I had no memory of being assaulted when I was younger. Uh, But I finally did like post-divorce start realizing like, I don't have a healthy relationship with my body and I'm not having, I was having good sex, but it was, I wasn't feeling anything. Um, My partners seemed pleased, but I finally, after so many relationships that I 
walked away from, I finally looked at myself and I'm like, I, well, I guess the, the, the real thing that came up to happen was a, one of my children came to me and expressed that, uh, and they were young and expressed that somebody had been inappropriate with them. And I, for the first time I thought, if I don't, I need to fig- model to them how to feel good in their body. I don't want this child to carry the shame that I carried for 40 years and feeling damaged in my body. And that's what really started my work, which is interesting because as mothers, like I didn't do this work on my own, but all of a sudden your child, something shows up for them. And I'm like, I'll do this for my child when really I should have been doing it for myself first. Isn't that amazing? I know. And that like is just for me is like a really uh, poignant explanation or illustration of how we just put ourselves last on the list. Like we are willing to tackle something that huge for our kids and not for ourselves. So I think it's, you know, also really fascinating that uh, whether it's through trauma like you experienced or well, it could be any number of reasons, right? We lost touch with ourselves and really lost touch with our bodies. And it's only when we start to get, like usually something comes up that's, that, and I know, I know that was the case for me. Something comes up where you're like, you know, for me, it was an illness that came up and I was like, oh my God, my body's talking to me and I'm not listening. I haven't been listening. And I know it's been talking to me for a long time, because I, but I wasn't paying attention because I didn't trust it. And I, I didn't experience any major trauma in my life related necessarily to my body, but I still didn't have the trust that I needed in my body to listen to the messages. And I find it fascinating how we, how we get to that place. Do you have a perspective on, on that? Well, I, you know, I think our, you know, it's modeled to us for generations. My mother was a uh, state senator. She ran for Congress. She was a very proactive woman. She was a very, you know, stood for the rights of women to make a choice about their bodies. And at the same time, we did not talk about our bodies within our own house. And the same thing with her mother. So this goes on for Uh generations until somebody speaks up. And one of the hardest things for me when my the book came out, Autobiography of an Orgasm. I hadn't told anybody in my family these, not only the secrets that I'd never had an orgasm, but that I had experienced being molested and uh, abuse and assault and rape against my body from the age of six to the age of 40. And it's interesting because uh, it's just, even my closest friend, she, it was too much for her to handle. She's, cause she's like, I feel like I don't know you. And I was like, well, I feel like I didn't know myself because I was ignoring this right. part of myself. And my mom, she did not take it so well. And we didn't talk for several months uh, when the book came out. And then her book club chose to read it. <laughs> These women are in their oh, no. 70s and 80s. And, and it was interesting because the book opens, the book is not about what happened to me. The book was about reclaiming my body and my voice. But I do open it with a scene of being six in, in my childhood home, being a teenage neighbor, uh, playing doctor with me. And once again, these are what a lot of kids experiment with, but it became traumatic for me. And because I, I had shame around it and didn't have anybody to go talk about, I didn't realize like how normal it was, but my body knew it wasn't right. And I held that secret for so many years. And it was the beginning of a lot of times of not speaking up. But as my mom's book club is reading the book together, she stopped at that point because they're reading it in a circle at her house. And, <laughs> and yeah, because they actually wouldn't take the book home to their own homes like you normally do in book clubs and read it. They left all copies at her house. <laughs> it's like this secret <laughs> book. And then they'd come and read a chapter and then discuss it. And that chapter, mom's like, 
that couldn't happen. There's no way that happened. And one by one, every woman in her book club went around the circle and said, well, actually something like that happened to me. And I've never shared it for 70 years or, you know, and one by one, everybody shared something. Interestingly enough, it was like two years later. And my mom out of the blue said to me one day, I remember that day. And I was like, what day? And she goes, I remember the day you wrote about in your book. And she said, you know, I'd completely forgotten about this, but later I found your dolls. You had cut their hair off and poked their mouth and eyes out. And she, and she, oh, you'd wow. hidden them under your bed. And she said, now we would know those are signs of abuse. But back then, nobody was talking about it. Right. So even my mother had suppressed memories about this. And, and so many people are, are like, well, uh, I mean, my mother's a positive person. She's like, well, why do we have to bring this up now? We're all, and I was like, well, we have to bring it up to heal and we have to bring it up because I don't want it to happen to my daughter or my sons or my two granddaughters. So we have to talk about it now. Obviously the book came out in 2014 and then 2017, all of a sudden we have people saying me too, me too. What's happened though, and me too is very important, but I see so many women getting stuck in their anger. And I also hear, see so many men saying, oh, you know, I don't want to hear that. Well, guess what? We don't need you to fix things. We don't, we need you to look at yourself, but we just need you to listen deeply and then we can heal. But we don't need you to heal us. We don't need you to fix us. The responsibility is, and my book is about how I healed myself. I didn't put any blame on anybody. It was look at like, how could this happen to me for so many years? And as an adult woman, not speaking up. And then what can I do without anybody else's help? What can I do to heal myself? Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, well, first of all, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, like, how can you trust your body after you spend so long denying its truth? There was a line you wrote in the book, which just really struck me. It said, I remember being told to trust my gut when it came to making decisions. But so many times what my gut was saying didn't sound reasonable. And so my mind took over and made another decision. Mm-hmm. I like that hit me so like as so much truth, right? Because how many times do we as women, like I think we have an innate instinct, right? To be in tune with our bodies, but how many times do we override for, you know, to please somebody else, to to make it palatable, to, you know, don't rock the boat, to all of these things. And then yeah, we 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 completely lose trust. Right? Mm-hmm. Like and that was so true for me. I mean like I've said this before, people on the podcast have heard me, like my body was a bit of, was this blob that carried my head around. Like mm-hmm. it literally, like, what was it? Like there was, there was no wisdom. There was, I didn't realize there was wisdom and intelligence in it. Mm-hmm. And tuning back into that for me has been, I mean, it's still a work in progress, but it's been such a huge, huge, huge thing, especially navigating menopause, which at first seemed like a massive betrayal of my body. <laughs> by my body to me, but realizing that every message that was coming to me was rooted in something that I really needed to take a look at. And it wasn't always, yeah. it wasn't always pretty. And sometimes it was really, really hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, with this book, when I released it, I was 50 and I was kind of in the midst of menopause, but when menopause started, you know, perimenopause started happening when I had a uh, started some heat flashes and unexpected weight gain. And, and I was going to Zimbabwe several times a year. And I was working in circles with women over there who were my age. 
And it was so uncomfortable because every time they'd see me on a trip, they'd go, oh, you've gotten, you know, you've gotten big, 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 big. And I'm like, you do not say that to an American woman. <laughs> but for them, it means you're healthy and you're, you know, and they would right. you know, laugh. They loved their bodies. But for me, I also realized that they weren't... Uh, going to doctors, looking at, uh, you know, being put on hormones, getting a hysterectomy. And once again, all these are choices for listening to your own body. Cause I've had friends make all those choices and those were their choices and it works for them. Right. But at that moment I thought, you know what, I'm not going to buy into the menopause thing. And that, that this is in the Western world, we talk about it so much. They don't in Zimbabwe, they're not talking about, it. they're just dancing and living their life and appreciating their bodies. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to my recipe is going to be dance, appreciate my body. And, and what's interesting, I've never had any other symptoms since then. Um, the biggest thing for me is the weight gain, especially in the middle. I've always had a super flat stomach. So here I finally done all this work, you know, on healing my body, loving my body for the first time. You know, I was so uncomfortable with my body for, you know, 45 years. And finally, I, I fall in love with my body. And then all of a sudden, my body starts changing. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, but it's, it's the one thing I love is, is that remembering that up until that point, my body had been focused on reproduction. And now all of our, uh, our body is not drying up, drying up, actually, our organs and endocrines and everything is actually feeling like extra juicy to support, you know, our soul work. And so, but we have this idea of that's put in, you know, that, oh, you're, you know, everything's drying up. And, and this has really been the literally like juiciest time of my life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for me as well. And I know, like, you know, it was so funny you said that about like, you know, I'm just starting to love my body. And then all of a sudden it changes. I mean, that's very true for me as well, too. And it was like the universe saying, Oh, you love your body? Oh, yeah, let's see if you still love your body. <laughs> Here's 25 pounds extra love, love for you. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I mean, I love my mom. And I also grew up with her even in her 80s. She's so, you know, an incredible woman and has accomplished so much. And, you know, she will still say things about her body that are negative. And I was like, mom, you can't afford to do this because you're taking me down and my daughter down and my granddaughter down. We can't afford to say these things, even as jokes to our body, because our body listens. And my biggest lesson with this was, and I wrote about this in the book, was at the lowest time of, I mean, really a Christmas. It was my first Christmas not being with my kids. I'd been divorced for 13 years and all of a sudden my former husband, we were very close. And then he started dating somebody who had been an employee of our family. And he didn't want me on the Christmas trip that I had organized for 13 years. And it was the lowest time. If there was ever a time that I didn't want to live, it was that time. Mm -hmm. And I was alone for Christmas. And I had a, I noticed a dead orchid in next to my bed. And I took it to the kitchen to throw it away. And because that's literally how my life felt at that moment. Right. And as I poured it, I was going to throw the orchid away, but save the pot because I was going to, you know, the pot's so good. <laughs> and I took it out of the pot. I noticed that the, when I turned it over to dump it out, the, there was still green underneath the dirt. Mm. And so I was like, it's, you know, it's still alive. So I, you know, I gently watered the roots. I, put it back into the pot. And for some reason, before I went to bed last night, I told this dirt, because there was nothing above the dirt, I said, I love you. And then the next morning I got up and I looked at it and I said, good morning, I love you. And I 
you know, like took it everywhere in the house and just took such good care of it. And within four months, it had started uh, sprouting again. And a couple months later was fully bloomed. And I realized like, wow, if I can do that with a plant, maybe I can do that with my body. And this was after, you know, I'd gone into my orgasm research and, you know, thought there's no possible way I can have an orgasm. I haven't had one all these years. And, and I just thought, you know, I just reminded my body, you know how to feel good. You know, you know how to feel good. You know how to heal. I thought I was damaged. And what I was holding on to was all of those past pains and stories. And, and I just kept telling myself, you know, you know how to feel good. You know how to heal. And just like the, uh, the, the flower that started blooming again, so did my body. And yeah, so we have to be, I mean, if I've had 40 years of not feeling good in my body, then my self-care has to be like over the roof. And that's what you, it can't just be like, you know, 15 minutes a day. You really need to commit to feeling good in your body as women. And, and if we want to, um, you know, we see women rising in all areas of the world right now, uh, we need to do it, you know, feeling really, really good in our bodies. And, you know, so I'm very much committed to no matter what's going on in my life, uh, even if I'm coexisting with grief and sadness, also making sure that my body feels very appreciated and very loved. Yeah, that's, that's so, so powerful. Um, but one of the things, I mean, and I know there's a lot of women who struggle with the physical changes of age, whether it's your face, your body, a few extra pounds or whatever it is. And when you're you know, brought up in a society where women's bodies are very much for male pleasure, you know, male gaze and things like that. And that's has become for a lot of us kind of our value in the world when all of a sudden something changes and you no longer are getting the looks of appreciation or the catcalls or whatever it is. I can understand why all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'm failing. I'm, I'm not useful anymore, right? And that's why it's so important to focus on the other aspects of really feeling good in your body. And to your point, you know, we're, we're now making space for a whole different level of work that we have to do, like our soul work, right? So yeah, I mean, I understand why women struggle with it. I was there, like, <laughs> hello, I was there. Like, you know what? Like I was always this super fit, fit person. And then 25, 30 pounds, few gray hairs, some wrinkles, right? And you're wondering, okay, so like, you know, where do I belong now, right? Like people aren't looking at me anymore. And I know, I think I heard you talk about, I think it was on Elizabeth's, Elizabeth Dialto's podcast talking about this whole concept of invisibility and how freeing it feels. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because I realized how safe I feel in my body for the first time mm. because I'm not getting the attention. And once again, I didn't want the attention. I was at a event in London, a black tie event in London a few years ago. And the, a man that was sitting next to me and he was there with his wife and, you know, he asked what I did. And I told, you know, I'm just truthful about, you know, if they're going to ask about my book title, I'm going to tell them and, you know, but bring up the seriousness of it. And he said, well, it must've been very hard for you because you're, you know, so beautiful. And it must've been very hard for you as a child to you must have got a lot of, you know, unwanted attention. And I thought, wow, that's not like the statement we should be making is that our little girls, our young girls should try to, uh, that we should be anything less than who we are. The, the, the change should be how are we, uh, what are we telling our boys and men in the world uh, about women and, and women's value? And it's interesting because my next book, Chasing Temples, is about my 
going to search for myself, you know, the soul work and and really going heavy into looking into spiritual communities and temples and sacred sites around the world and and where I see women starting to chase themselves and I was chasing myself. And even in the spiritual communities, I couldn't believe it because you think that would be a safe place. No, I had more men either telling me uh, one man who is a very well-known and respected psychotherapist in a spiritual community. I'm not asking for any advice for him, but he said, wow, you really need to lose 20 pounds. Uh, You're holding on to it for protection. This is just over lunch. And I'm like, I can't believe a man, you know, who's in his 60s is telling me this. And I had another, when I just did my solo show uh, last year in LA, and it's about based on my first book. And I posted a picture. I was very proud, you know, of getting up and speaking the story out loud. And a man from my past uh, that I, I just knew, I mean, it was nobody uh, significant, but he, he, his, he saw the picture and wrote, you used to be beautiful and now you're crazy. So once again, this is what we're telling women of if a woman gets up and speaks her truth, we're crazy. And for so many years, I would not speak my truth because I would be told, oh, you're crazy. You're this, you're that. And I mean, this is why everybody's so uncomfortable with the Me Too movement because right. you know people are screaming it. They're so angry. And what we're saying is it's we, you and I, and all these women were part of the transition team. So, and with talking about uh, women as elders and matriarchs, we're part of the transition team. It's going to be so much better for our daughters and granddaughters. And the women that I love being in circles with right now, I love all ages, but especially when the elders show up, the elders elder than me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, and I didn't have that, you know, I dismissed my grandmother, you know, I loved her, but I didn't ask her any questions when she was still alive and things that I would love to know about her now. And so it's really the elder women uh, and these matriarchs. I, I mean, these grandmothers are the ones I, you know, could heal our world instantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's so, what's so great is, I mean, having the conversations that we're having and the books, like the books like you've written, like this is, these are going to change the trajectory of the, of the women coming behind us. I mean, like, like I, I've ne- I never had the birds and the bees conversation with my mom and I'm like, she was pretty liberal, liberal and progressive. And yet we still do. I don't remember ever having that conversation or maybe I blocked it out, but, but like having that, but I think just, you know, between the Me Too movement, women finally standing up and speaking their truth books like that you know like you've written conversations that we're starting to have even about menopause like I talk openly to my daughter about menopause (laughs) and what it's like because I don't want her to be to have have the same experience that I did where I'm like what's happening to my body I'm falling apart right so yeah I mean I feel like we have a duty like we have a duty to pave the way for the women coming behind us and we're I, I i think we're the like the leading generation too because we're very different than our mothers were mm-hmm. and we're the first real not first real women the first women who had you know full-time careers and maybe outside of the house and we're also full-time mothers and we live a whole different whole different life that you know that and it's important for us to kind of keep this conversation going yeah i so i have four children they're uh now ages you know 25 to 30 and when the book came out the oldest was five years ago so and these are things once again you 
like they were proud of me for writing a book. And then they, I kept saying, oh, it's about my life between, you know, Zimbabwe and the US. And then before it came out, I had to say, well, this is really what it's about. I really went more into the, the sensual uh, path. And, you know, two of my sons are comedians. So they immediately oh. saw it as material, but they also <laughs> knew the seriousness of the book. So, you know, the title autobiography of an orgasm definitely is provocative. Definitely people laugh when they first hear it and they get uncomfortable and they think it's erotica. And then I have to have, you know, uh, call in a conversation that doesn't, can't say, oh no, it's a book about my, you know, sexual assault. Cause people would just like, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. And yeah. I think the thing that I'm most proud about my book is when it <laughs> reviews first started coming in, people were, you know, saying, oh, it was actually a fun book to read and it was funny. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect them to say that because it's about my sensual path. But I was proud that I was able to write it from the point of view of exactly how I was feeling as I was going through trying to reclaim my body because it was, you know, there were things that were so uncomfortable that they were funny. And, but with my kids, with my boys, even at their young ages in their early twenties, when the book came out, they all said, you know what, we all have been, you know, we've, we've met women and we hear conversations with the women that we are uh, in our lives that have already been impacted by what you're talking about. So, you know, this is an important book and we get it and they're very respectful of it. My daughter, I love that she has such a great relationship with her body. So that feels good that that's being yeah. already being passed on. Yeah. And then my mother, who is, uh, if I'm 57, she's turning 87. She is just as active as ever. And the one thing I tell her every year, because, you know, she's like, you need to get your flu shot. And, and she does. And I was like, Mom, my flu shot is having great orgasms, appreciating my body. I am the healthiest I've ever been in my life. Prior to uh, my book coming out, I had sore throats for 40 years, very sick. Every month I'd have the flu once a month. I was always sick with throat issues. And when the book finally came out and I finally spoke the truth, I haven't had a sore throat since. How interesting is that? And also orgasm, especially with a trusted loving partner, is a natural way to bring the body back into, to bring every cell in your body back into balance. If you're not in a relationship with a partner, then you still appreciate your body. And whether you orgasm every day or not, 15 minutes of just giving yourself a massage and saying, you know, I love you, or I'm grateful for you, your body is listening. And it's interesting because that's my flu shot. That's I am. Uh, I haven't had the flu in years. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Wow, it's a healthy immune system, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's another section in the book where you mentioned something to the words of, you know, you were searching for truth and connection. And the problem was you were looking for it from somebody else as opposed to in, your, in yourself. Can you talk about a little bit about the importance from your experience of the wisdom of your body and kind of where that led you? It's interesting. After women read my book and men, they'll write to me and say, you know, me too. I don't feel good in my body. I don't feel safe in my body. I've never had an orgasm. I uh, had experienced assault or rape in college and I've never told anybody. And I'm now in my 60s or 70s and it's, you know, I'm glad you found yourself, but it's too late for me. Or they'll say, yes, I'm like you, 
what are the first three things I need to do? What course do I need to sign up for? Mm -hmm. And that's where I say, like, listen to your body. My thing with both orgasm research and Koya, that's why I got into Koya, which is a dance yoga movement, but it's so much more than them because it, it asks you to listen to your body and do the moves that feel good. So different from a, a Zumba class where you're just following the instruction or the instructor and everything might feel kind of awkward and I would be very behind in the class or in yoga where you're you know following along and but worried about doing it right. In Koya, it's Q-O-Y-A. The idea is to, there's no way to do it wrong. Like how many times as women are we afraid of doing it wrong? And, and you know when you're doing it right when it feels good. And for me, when I first went to Koi class, you know, when she's asking us to do hip circles, I'm like, I could barely move my hips. And she's saying, you know, look for the place that feels good. And nobody would ever asked me that before. And it was the same thing with orgasm research, because I was being asked to just with a single touch, then being asked, does that feel good? Do you want it slower? Do you want it uh, faster? Do you want it longer? I had never been asked that before in my life. How do you want to be touched? Mm. I had no idea. Wow. So, and this is where it's really key in, to just do this practice for 15 minutes a day, just anything for 15 minutes a day, instead of going, okay, I'm going to spend the next two hours trying to figure my body out. Just 15 minutes a day of um, maybe stroking your clitoris or where I started was just trace using my finger to trace around the lips of my labia. So I was just tracing around my vulva to see what that felt like. Because nobody had ever done that to me. I'd never done it. And at first I didn't feel anything. And, but then I started experiencing like, oh, this does feel good. Oh, wow. This, you know, this movement feels, you know, like all of a sudden all these lights were turning on in my body. And so, yeah, I mean, we want to follow uh, directions and look good in classes. And we're saying, how can, how does it feel good? We're not worried about how it looks. How does it feel? Orgasm is a natural way and speaking up and, and using our voice in orgasm is a natural way of our body expressing itself. Uh, so as women for 2000 years, we've been not expressing ourselves because we live in a culture that has uh, dismissed us. Even Mary Magdalene, Gospel of Mary Magdalene was buried for 1800 years. So we have this in uh, energy and we need to reclaim it in our own bodies right now so that we can balance out those 2000 years right. of not being heard. Right. So finding your own inner truth before you then speak your truth to the world. Yeah. And also, I mean, you're doing this, you know, podcast. Elizabeth has a wonderful podcast. Uh, we're, there's going to be thousands of us doing this work. So just because one person, one woman, but just because I've written a book about orgasm doesn't mean you can't too. You, I mean, we need all these women. We have, you know, uh, three yeah. and a half to four billion women, you know, that need to be reached. So listen to your voice and do that work. And it might be to gather women in a circle in your living room and, uh, you know, read a book together or dance. So once again, back to your question of what to do first, it might not, if you've never had an orgasm in your life, it might not be to try to figure out how to have an orgasm. It might be to take the ballroom dance class that you thinking about that you've never done before or a painting class or an art class because there are all these ways that we've suppressed our creativity 
and orgasm is very creative. So just start listening to, you know, what's first. You don't have to do it all at once, just what's first. Maybe it's getting an orchid and telling it you love it for 30 days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, they, there's so much powerful research on that, on just how kindness and loving words, right? Like how much, you know, you've seen the thing where they cut the apple in half and, you know, they put one half in a jar and they fire yeah. insults at it and the other one, they tell it they love it and what happens. So yeah, there's a lot of really powerful research. So yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just catching yourself in the act of, you know, beating yourself up or, you know, saying unkind things to yourself yeah, and just being aware and then saying something loving, right? Uh, Or maybe touching a part of your body that you've had an issue with, right? And like just placing your hand on that and acknowledging it. I mean, sometimes it can be hard to go from I hate you to I love you, but even just putting a hand on it. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. It's just being so gentle with yourself. And one of my favorite things to do either first thing in the morning or in the evening is putting one song on. You could put your uh, music on shuffle and see what comes up up, or just putting one song that you love on. And for that three and a half or four minutes, you know, placing your hands on that one part of your body that you might not necessarily be so crazy about and just breathing into it, and then maybe letting your hands travel. Uh, It's just, you know, it's just like, try it for seven days, try it for 10 days. Why not? You know, the other solution is, you know, we're being over-medicated, where therapy is amazing, but you can't always get into your therapist when you need to, to see them. So what would it be like to listen to your body as, you know, your therapist? It's our, we mm. need to come back home to our bodies. And so however, you know, just try. I can't wait for any of your listeners, like what it is that it was for them. Because for me, it was that, you know, saying I love you to that orchid and then trying it on my own body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we're so incredibly hard on ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so busy doing for other people. So even spending a minute of just like quiet time to be, oh, what is my body actually feeling in this particular moment in this very second? Yeah. Um, tuning into that, like even that's a really, really small shift, right? Yeah. Bring awareness back to it. I have two two-year-old, they're both two at the same time right now, granddaughters. And one thing I do with them is they, uh, they go, I am kind, I am strong, I am loved, and I can do anything. And I do that with them, you know, several times a day when I'm with them. And I realized like those were words that I also needed to hear growing up. I would have loved to have had that uh, on those moments where I didn't feel safe to be able to to do that. And so I love that already they're starting to do it. And so what are these things as I'm turned 57, like I said, in a couple of weeks, what are these things right now that I can do that simple? Because uh, I live in a culture that's telling me you're too old, don't speak up, you're crazy, you're mm-hmm. unattractive, your body is not attractive anymore. And as I wrote about in the book, uh, you know, men don't want to have sex with women over the age of, when I say 50, it's probably 40. 40. Yeah. So, you know, I have to reclaim my value every day in a world that tells me I'm not enough. Yeah. You're past your prime. You're irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. And th- this, is, this is so true. And this is the power. And this is why I do what, what I do. And with the whole Old Chicks No Shit um, community is really about, you know, the collective of each woman really kind of finding her own power within instead of looking to the outside world as we've been conditioned for validation and approval and to find our value in the outside world, which is why we are all 
like so many of us are exhausted and burned out from giving, 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 because that's become, you know, our, the source of our value. And for us to now then to take that and internalize it, like there's so much, like I get goosebumps when I think about it. There's so much power in each woman just reclaiming for herself, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. um, reclaiming that and knowing that she can walk down the road and, you know, it doesn't matter if she's invisible or what people think about her, you know, because she knows innately that she is powerful and strong and wise. Oh, so wise. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we live in a culture where, and this is like one of my pet peeves in life is like every time you see a woman on TV, like on a commercial or in an ad in a magazine, any woman that's over 45, it's always for bladder leakage protection. Um, <laughs> like, you know, wrinkle cream, supplements, wrinkle, wrinkle cream. cream. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no wonder we're all walking around feeling like this is like the end of our life when we don't see the representation of women who are feeling strong and powerful and out there kicking ass and doing amazing things. Like, where are those women? I know they exist. Why don't we see them? And we're bombarded with something like 30,000 messages in a day about what's the perfect woman look like. Like, how could we not, how could we not internalize some of that? Like, you just can't help it. Yeah. And I, at this one, I would say epidemic that uh, is happening that we aren't talking about is the amount of women I know, including me, who might be divorced later in life. They've stopped working when they were younger to raise their kids, or they go back into the working uh, force as a 40, 50, 60 year old, and nobody is ready to pay us where should be, worth value would be. Yeah. I've worked just as many hours as my former husband and worked just as hard, and I don't make enough to. I live month to month. I know many women like this, and and there will always be another woman to go, you know, fill the role, fill your role of with your former partner. But it's a, so not only are you going through, you know, doing your soul work, going through menopause, and you're having to sustain yourself in a world that doesn't value what you do. So what are the jobs out there um, that can sustain us? And, and once again, we're all part of the transition team right now. So uh, when you are uh, feel compelled to go do your soul work, it doesn't mean that there's going to be the circle out there going like, great, great, great. Like you need to be validating yourself. Even within your own family, there may not be support. Yes. And I just, I'm seeing this so much with women and it can get, you know, to a pretty helpless place. And I don't have the answers yet, but I know we're moving to create the world that we want to live in. And this is where Koya, once again, when we do Koya classes, they each have a different theme. So if the theme is like uh, dreaming bigger dreams, what you, you want in your life, by the end of class, there's a, uh, the song where we're all dancing what it feels like, what that dream for us would feel like. And it's such a beautiful thing because there might be 30 women in the world, all ages from you know 20s to 80s, and they're all dancing differently because their dreams feel differently. But the room is feels magnetized because Everybody is dancing that feeling of their dreams. And how many times do we, you know, are we in circles with women where they can feel that even for three minutes? And if we can feel it for three minutes, we can, you know, do one step for the next thing that might be supporting our dream. But, you know, in general, we live in a world that tells us, you know, your dream, uh, you need a man for your dream, you need a prince is going to save you. And, you know, so how can we save ourselves in a world that is not valuing our work yet? 
That's yeah. <laughs> a big question. That is, that is a, a huge question. And I mean, that's the work that we're all doing, right? Like we're trying to answer that cool question a little bit, one person at a time. Um, that's amazing. Um, I could keep talking to you for like days on end, but <laughs> so how can my listeners uh, find your book? I guess it's on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. My website is BetsyBMurphy.com. And I um, also most excited about my book that was just released called Write On, W-R-I-T-E On. Um, It's a daily writing practice, 365 days of 15-minute writing prompts for anyone with a story to tell more than ever. I hear women that have um, want to write a book or have a TED talk or have a story to share, share and they don't know where to start. Right. And so I do writing workshops and retreats all over the world. And this book is a great place to start. Yeah. And the other book that um, I found really inspiring as well, too, is the, your, your book, The Autobiography of Our Orgasms, mm-hmm. which is a compilation of a lot of different women's stories, which again, are just so powerful. I highly recommend anyone who's listening, like read the whole series of books, <laughs> the O books, and then take it the, like, just, it's, I don't, I, like I said, I stayed up way too late, too many nights <laughs> going through it, but it was really empowering, inspiring, and to hear stories of all of these women kind of reclaiming themselves in the process of this was just, again, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Um, so everybody go read these books. <laughs> So thank thank you. you, Thank you for taking this time. I love this conversation. I love the work that you are doing in the world. And oh, if somebody's interested in Koya, where can they find out more about that? Uh, Koya, uh, Q-O-Y-A dot love is the website. And we have teachers all over the world and classes every week all over the world and retreats all over the world. So, and it, like I said, that was uh, as important part of my uh, reclaiming my body was doing Koya dance as actually, you know, working with uh, my body and, and trying to understand how it worked in my orgasm. So Koya is good for orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.